Welcome to the Philcraft Survival Podcast with your host, Mike Glover. Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about go bags, go bag considerations, what kind of bag you should carry, what you should carry in your bag and a whole bunch of things on emergency preparedness and survival. I appreciate you guys tuning in to iTunes and SoundCloud. Last episode, we talked about everyday carry, and it evoked a lot of conversation, and I was able to get a lot of good feedback from you guys, so I appreciate tuning in, and look forward to doing a lot more of these podcasts in the future that deal in the realm of survival preparedness. So when we talk about go bags, you know, go bags is something that I've utilized really my entire special operations career. I mean, it's something that we utilized in every facet of combat operations, whether it's, you know, food and bullets, water, whatever it may be, the go bag is basically the last resort if something goes bad. What we like to do is we plan our go bags based off the operational environment that we're operating in. And early on in my special operations career, you know, where we're doing operations, maybe a long range movement or maybe a long range operation where the number one priority is bullets, food, and water. Well, if something happened on that vehicle and I had to unass, for lack of a better term, you know, evade from that vehicle because of something catastrophic happening, at least I would have a bag with things that would allow me to survive a period of time to get away, to evade, to await rescue. Typically, like I said, those things were bullets, magazines preloaded with ammunition, and some kind of food or water. Usually, we use the mills ready to eat, and we just put bottles of water inside the bags. Another term that's often used in special operations that we talk about when we talk about specifically these bags is something called a speedball. Now, a speedball, unlike a go bag, is pre-packed and designed to facilitate an operation and an ongoing operation and to allow it to continue for contingency purposes, but also for sustainment purposes. So I might preload a speedball that has food, water, maybe some operational equipment, batteries, etc. And then as I'm conducting the operation, I already have it mapped out in a deliberate plan when I'm going to receive this. Sometimes it's a contingency type thing where it's given to you in a quick reaction scenario where something goes wrong, but most of the time it's given to you in a sustainment process along the way. Now, how is the go bag that we utilized or the speedball that we utilized in special operations and combat evolved into the go bag that I'm talking about today? Well, you know, I've written a couple articles on the go bag for task and purpose for soldier systems. Really, my mindset on go bags completely changed when I started doing contract work because you know, when I was in the military, we had a three-day assault pack. It was desert tan, you know, and it had all the stuff that we needed. And there was, it was overt, right? There was no need for me to hide what was in this. And it, to be honest, it wasn't really optimal or optimized. Mill ready to eat, for example, has three to 5,000 calories. Well, it's also pretty big. I mean, it's, it's a large form factor. So when we looked at optimization, if we really wanted to optimize food, we would either break down the MRE or, you know, instead of water, which would be bottles of water, we would maybe look at doing something like 
iodine tablets because water was potentially readily available. So, you know, when you have an overt go bag, it, it has its time and place. Well, when you're doing low vis or reduced signature operations where you can't have a big desert backpack on your vehicle or on your back, then you need to streamline that. And when I started contracting in these foreign countries, you know, realizing that I, I had to be more covert, I started looking at different options for go bags. You know, Philcraft, when we started up the company a year ago, I started off with what's called the minimalist survival kits. This kit is basically a kit that could fit in your glove compartment. It could fit in your backpack. It's reduced signature in form, but also allows you to survive for a period of time with all the necessities, which is water, shelter, maintaining and stabilizing your body temperature, building a fire, all these things that are pertinent to survival. So when we think about go bags in the civilian world, I think about that same mindset because number one, I don't want to overtly indicate that I have a bag based on the circumstances that I'm in. Let's say I'm walking through the city. I don't want to have a desert tan bag that has a whole bunch of stuff that might be looked at by law enforcement or other people as being potentially threatening. And also, I don't want it to inconvenience me. And that's a, a big part of the reason why we did these minimalist survival kits is because most people are less likely to utilize a go bag in some kind of form factor if it makes their life less convenient. So convenience is one part of the market, but the other part is reducing your signature so you're not standing out. So you know, when I looked at this go bag and the translation of it in civilian life, I wanted something all-encompassing, but that looked like it belonged. So, you know, the first thing you got to look at when developing a go bag is you want to build a go bag specific to your routine. If you commute 40 minutes in San Francisco and then you work in downtown San Francisco and then you commute out into a rural environment 40 minutes, then your go bag is going to look a lot different than a go bag from somebody who works out in a rural environment and commutes 15 minutes in a truck versus commuting on the subway. There's a whole bunch of considerations. So let's start out. Number one is identifying the area of operation or the AO in which you're going to need to go bag. So what I like to do is choose and select the bag that best fits you based on your AO. In other videos and other social media posts, I posted this Patagonia Stealth Atom bag. It's a fly fishing bag. Well, I've utilized that overseas in foreign countries where people have looked at the bag and it looks kind of European. It looks European because the environments in which I operate, there's a European influence. So it's not uncommon for you to see people rocking murses or you know wearing some kind of satchel bag or having a, a suitcase of some sort. So remember, don't think just go bag is a backpack type bag. It can be, literally can be a fly fishing bag or be a satchel. So number one is identifying the bag and tailoring it for your environment. If I worked in an urban environment, you know, the same bag that I put my computer in might be the same bag in which I put the items I need to survive a bug out situation or a contingency emergency type situation. It might be the same exact bag, just a different compartment. Another bag to look at is the backpack, right? The backpack, which has typically two straps, is a universal bag. 
you could see it all over the city. You could see it in rural environments. You could see it at college campuses. Well, if you commute and you're on foot, you're in a metro station, you're on buses, you know, you go to work and you take your bag and you sit it next to your desk, a backpack would not stand out. You know, if you're wearing it with one strap, you're wearing it with two straps, you could see guys wearing that in suits. You could see women in professional attire wearing the same thing with tennis shoes because they're commuting and they change into more appropriate shoes and they still have that bag. So it's not out of the ordinary to carry that type of bag. The specific bag that I like to utilize is the Milspec Monkey Tactical Tailor Bag. I use this bag because it really is a backpack that is designed, better designed as a civilian bag, go bag type setup. So the first thing I identify is, you know, the bag looks, you can get in the color scheme that looks like a civilian backpack. So it doesn't stand out because it's multicam or that it's potentially a military type style bag. So I stick with civilian colors. And the thing about this Milspec Monkey bag, this, this bag that's made by Technical Taylor, is it has a slot quickly accessible for a firearm. That is one of the first considerations that I look at when choosing a bag. Does this bag have the ability for me to pull a firearm out of it in a reasonable amount of time without digging, without lulling, without slowing me down? And if it does, then the bag's right from the get-go. Because remember, in a contingency-type situation, whether it's man-made or natural, when you're trying to get out of a bad situation, security, no matter what the situation is, security is your number one priority. You want to get out and either defend or protect your life in the instance that it happens. So the Milspec Monkey Tactical Tailor Bag, I could flip it around the front of me and it has zip down slots where there's a Velcro lined pocket inside where I could put you know, Velcro on a holster and put it inside there, but I could access a gun and immediately get on it fast. Now, let's say you have a satchel or a, a MERS type bag. Well, well, if you have to remove that flap, unzip a panel and get down into a compartment that doesn't even hold a gun, it holds like a notebook, that is a consideration for that bag because you wanna be able to get to it reliably, repeatedly, and get to a firearm as your first line of defense. So that's the first calculation I look at in a bag. One, does it fit the environment in which I'm operating? Two, does it have the ability for me to readily access a firearm? The next thing that I look at is, does this bag have adequate space for me to put all the things that I need to survive in a, an extremist situation? You have different bags set up for different instances. For example, when I go on long range trips, I have a truck bag. I have a bag that's routinely kept on my person, on me, or inside of my vehicle that has all the things that I need during a contingency, potential emergency type situation. But in my home, I also have a different kind of bag that's utilized in the case that I need to break out on foot because of where I live. I live in a very rural place that's, that has a high chance of having wildfires. In fact, there was a wildfire here last year that was burning in my backyard, which is a mountain range, which burned thousands of acres. So my home blowout bag is going to look different than my actual vehicle blowout bag. So when I look at the actual space, I need to identify, do I have enough space? Is it adequate enough for me to carry around all the things that I potentially need if something goes wrong? Reverting back to the top of the 
discussion when we're talking about this minimalist evasion kit. That's the whole point of this minimalist evasion kit that I sell is, is it's, it's convenient because of the space and you're able to put it inside of a satchel or put it inside of a backpack and then augment it with all the things that you need based on your environment. If I was in the city, for example, and I did a, a commute on a daily basis, well, you know what? Maybe a signal mirror, because I'm surrounded by skyscrapers, a signal mirror might not be my first pick for signal for identifying myself in an extremist situation. Maybe my first line of defense would be an emergency type radio, or maybe I have both. Maybe if I decide that my blowout bag is going to be designed for me to go hiking, then that signal mirror will be ideal for me to carry because it's obvious that there's planes that fly over my trail path. And if I was you know, notifying emergency response, that they would be able to see it. So it really depends on your environment, what you're going to carry. But generally, it all remains the same. These pieces of equipment that you have are really just going to augment each other. So now down to the meat and potatoes. What goes inside the go bag? I get asked this question a lot, and it is a really important question, especially when you're talking about what you do and what you actually use the go bag for. If you're an outdoor adventurer, you're not going to need the same things that an urbanite might need, somebody who operates in an urban environment. Generally, the staples of survival contingencies remain the same. And what I mean by that is you have a, a basis or a basic foundation of survival equipment, and then you have additional things that enable or augment your pack depending on what you're doing. So let's say you're going to work and you have your go bag and you have things that you typically would use, like you have a cell phone charger battery pack. Well, when you go out inside of an urban environment, let's say you're taking that same bag and you're going hiking. Well, it might be in your best interest to carry a solar panel version of that because you're going to be hiking day and night and potentially camping. And that solar panel pack will sustain you for a longer period of time as opposed to a charge pack. So now let's talk about the staples of survival, the staples of your go bag. Number one, I like to always start with in order of really what's most important in a survival type situation. So I always start, number one, with shelter or maintaining body temperature. Outside of self-defense, which is always the number one priority, you always have to be able to maintain your body temperature, and that includes potentially building a shelter to do that. Why is that important? Well, I think it's most important because first and foremost, the thing that's going to potentially kill you the quickest is going to be your exposure to the elements. Let's say you're in San Francisco right now, you know, which is wintertime, and something happens catastrophic, and you're moving from an urban environment to a rural environment, and what you have on, you know, whatever your nine to five daily wear is, and then your go bag. Well, more than likely, you're not going to have a Patagonia fleece on with layers and be able to retain your body temperature, especially with exposure to the elements around here at night. And that goes for the majority of the country, no matter where you're at, right? If, you, if you're in an urban environment and you, you get away from a situation, whether it's man-made or natural, and you're trying to get into the open and move on foot, you need to be able to retain your, your body heat. Now, I do say building a shelter slash exposure because 
I like to use space blankets for building shelter and also retaining your body temperature. A space blanket, you know, which is a mylar type blanket. There's there's different manufacturers of them out there. I use the one made by Sol S O L. These mylar space blankets retain your body temperature, so they could reduce your chances of going into shock. But they also could be used in conjunction with fire to reflect heat so that you could optimize the fire that you have. You could also wrap yourself in it to prevent shock. You could also utilize it for coverage to keep you out of the elements. So it, it really is the, the staple piece of equipment that I recommend to adequately maintain your body temperature in an extremist situation. Now, this is also in conjunction with all the things that you have on as well. If you just have a Mylar space blanket, that might not be the end-all, be-all for maintaining your body temperatures. You might need to also use other pieces of equipment or other methods of shelter building in conjunction with the Mylar space blanket to keep you out of elements. For example, if you're moving in the Sierras and you're building a shelter, well, you're building a shelter to keep yourself out of the elements, and then you're using the Mylar space blanket inside that shelter You know, after you've already built it to retain your body heat. That's the number one priority. There's a whole bunch of things to augment that. At REI now, they make small enough packs, bivy sacks, and, and, and et cetera, that you can compress, that you can carry inside of a go bag. My go bag inside of my vehicle has a bivy sack that's compressed that I could use that's basically like a small sleeping bag to retain that heat and to save my life in the exposure to the elements, especially if it goes into the nighttime. The next critical staple of survival that I use in my go bag is fire, fire contingencies. And, and I say contingencies because everything that we do, no matter if it's in a go bag, if it's in planning, whatever it is, you always have a contingency just in case the first thing, which primarily does, goes wrong or goes bad. So the acronym that we use is called PACE. It's, it's having a primary course of action, an alternate course of action, a contingency course of action, and an emergency course of action. So f- basically, after the primary, you have three backups, no matter what the, the actual event is. So when we talk about fire, look, a lot of people want to overcomplicate fire, and they think the first thing that you need to look at is a magnesium rod, a you know, rubbing sticks together, learning bushcraft. And, you know, there's a time and place for all that stuff. But when I'm looking at my go bag, I want to have all the equipment necessary to not have to use sticks using potential bushcraft, which is time consuming, which is used in a more long-term survival situation. So in the short term, I utilize big lighters as my number one, as my primary. Big lighters are easily stored. They're easily maintained. You just basically put them inside. They're good for thousands of strikes. And it's something that you can go too fast in an extreme situation. As an alternate, I like to use matches. My preferred matches are hurricane matches. Hurricane matches are a little bit more expensive. You want to retain them in some kind of plastic. Look, if, if you light a hurricane-type match accidentally, it's going to continue to burn, and it's going to burn your go bag. So keep them retained properly because you don't want the friction head to ignite and for you to have issues. The cool thing about hurricane matches is... You could light them in the rain, you could light them in high wind, and you could light them almost in any kind of situation and start a fire. Also, for the contingency part of the pace plan, I like to use a magnesium rod known as a ferro rod. 
Ferro rods are basically little rods of magnesium that you use a scraper tool to shave off or create a spark, which you could use to ignite a fire. It is not the source of fire. It's a source for a spark. And then you need something to ignite, which gives you your fire. Some additional things that are used in the fire kit, especially with the ferro rod, are things like Vaseline or some kind of tinder that can assist you in igniting the fire or the, and, and holding or retaining the flame. For example, if you use a ferro rod and a scraper and you're going to ignite wet tinder, it's going to be very difficult for you to start or ignite that flame. But if you have a little piece of Vaseline, number one, petroleum jelly could be used for your lips, for chafing, could be used for a whole bunch of different things, applications. But if you light it or ignite it, it starts and will give you the opportunity to retain that flame so then you could start retaining your fire. And the great thing about all these things is they don't take up a lot of space. I mean, my fire kit is all encompassed inside of a small Pelican case, and it's relatively good for travel in any environment, which is cool because you could replicate that kit, stuff it in your glove box, you could put it inside different go bags, and you could have it just dispersed across different pieces of equipment that you're going to use depending on the situation. Another equally as important survival staple is water purification. Look, there's a lot of debate at whether you should carry water in your go bag as opposed to carrying water purification tablets or, or different elements to be able to purify water. The answer is it really depends on your situation and depends on your go bag because I like to retain a container for retaining water inside my go bag with water obviously in it, like a Nalgene bottle, but I want to be able to purify water on the go. Because I know realistically, I can't carry that much water. On the average, a male will go through about five to seven quarts of water a day. And that really depends on your physical capacity and how good a shape you are in. So there's a lot of variables there when you think about it. And thinking about to my special operations career when I was a sniper, we were required to carry about five to seven quarts of water per day of operations. And Typically, we looked at around three days of operational food and water. If you think about that, you know, 21 quarts of water is a lot of weight to carry on a long-range operation where you're carrying a rucksack and carrying it on your back. So when you look at your go bags, the same rules apply, right? You want to have enough water to sustain you for a period of time. But let's say the period of time I define based on the situation that I find myself in is 72 hours. Well, realistically, you're not going to carry 21 quarts of water inside of a small go bag. But what can you do? Number one, water is typically, unless you live in the desert, is readily available, whether it's in people's faucets, whether it's in people's backyards, whether it's through a garden hose. Hell, it could be in a convenience store. The water that's around you is available. And the key to maintaining hydration is sourcing that, but making sure that you're not sick when you do drink the water. I have a good buddy. We were on an operation in Iraq one day and we got to the point in which we were flexing the different objectives and the operation ran long, longer than we expected. So the amount of water that we had on us wasn't sustaining the physical characteristics of big beefy SF guys, wasn't sustaining us. So a lot of guys decided to drink out of the, the garden hoses, out of the houses in, in the Iraq town that we were in. Well, that was a big mistake because obviously they don't have code for plumbing inside the infrastructure of the Iraqi cities. So there was shit, literal poo 
in the water that caused Giardia and a whole bunch of stomach issues for a whole bunch of operators. So the point is you want to be able to realistically carry what you can, but you want to be able to have the ability to purify any water that you come across. I like to use iodine tablets. Iodine tablets come in a few form factors, but basically it's you know a little pill that you drop in a can of water or a Nalgene bottle of water and it purifies the water in two to four hours. And that's how I like to roll because if I come across water and I think it's suspect, let's say it's out of a stream. Well, I don't want to risk running into water that potentially can make me sick and debilitate my ability to move. So better safe than sorry of throwing a tablet, waiting a little bit, getting ahead of it, purifying it, and then drinking it than not having that on hand or on person inside your go bag. Another option is you have the ability to make a fire, right? Because you have your fire staple kit inside your go bag. But how are you going to boil water over a stove or over a fire? A lot of people don't think about that. They think, oh, I have my analogy bottle for my water. I purify it. And then I have the ability to boil water. But how the hell are you going to boil it? There's a few different ways that you do it. Number one is you could buy the actual containers that are made out of metals that you could put on fires. And I recommend using those. There's a whole bunch of different ones. They sell my REI, typical outdoor sports stores. But I like to have the little container where I could boil water, but I could also use it as an open container to put food inside of just in case I have the ability to have food, have coffee, have things to lift morale, but I could also boil water over a fire and I have to embed something inside of a fire. Another consideration is these life straws. I use these life straw water purification systems everywhere I go and I test them out routinely. Typically, I like to carry them in my go bag on hikes outdoor, especially if I know I'm going to run into a stream or a water source because I want to see if they effectively work. Basically, a life straw is a thick straw where you suck the water out and it's purified through the straw and then you drink immediately drink it and it gets rid of 99 point something percent of all the impurities inside the water and it basically just puts it through a filtration system. The drawback is obviously you can't put it into a container unless you suck it through the straw and then spit it into a container. They do have versions where you can contain the water. But I like the convenience of how small the actual life straw is where I could drink on the fly. Now, in a survival type situation where I'm looking to make a bag more streamlined, lighter weight, that's something that I might have as opposed to carrying a different slew of different containers like a Nalgene, a metal container, a canteen cup, a bladder. I might just have a life straw, some iodine tablets, and a Nalgene bottle to retain the water. Something else to consider with along the lines of water is having some form of carbohydrate and sugar electrolyte type powder to be able to sustain your energy level, your blood sugar energy level as you're moving. I know a lot of people focus wholeheartedly on food. You know, when I, when I do long range endurance type events, carbohydrates, a key aspect of maintaining your endurance, but I don't want to do that with food that's going to take up a lot of space. Well, powder in the form of Gatorade or some electrolyte is not going to take up that much space. And it has calories. It has the essential electrolytes that you need. It has that sugar. And it might even have the caffeine that you added to it to give you that extra boost to keep on moving that you could quickly add to your water on the fly. 
that's hugely important, especially when you're, when you're looking at maintaining and sustaining endurance on the go. The next thing I like to look at in my go bag is signal. Signal in a pace plan or contingency plan could be several different things. I'm not just talking about like the signal mirror. A lot of people like to focus, hey, signal, have your whistle, have your signal mirror. Those are pretty cool things. But now we're so technologically advanced with satellites that we have the ability to do iridium type satellite communication that sends out that communication that we need. And that's really your signal, right? You don't, you don't want to be arbitrarily throwing up signals or you know reflecting the sun at airplanes that fly by when you don't need to. If I'm in an extremist situation where I'm evading out of a urban environment to a rural environment, it might be isolated. More than likely, it's isolated. Well, I want to reach out and communicate to my loved ones outside of that bubble. That bubble's infrastructure might be collapsed. The cell phone towers might be down, so I don't have the ability to communicate via SMS. I don't have data because I don't have those towers available. But if I have a survival type SMS transmitter and receiver, I could send those important messages and that important communication to people with cell phones outside of that bubble. There's a whole bunch of companies now that make a whole bunch of iridium type satellite communication type devices that I recommend in your signal plan over anything else. Another critical portion of this is RF communication. Small handheld RF radios are getting out to like 50-ish miles for their range in a small form factor. So basically handheld, you could send a radio call to somebody who has a receiver over a frequency and openly communicate. I say openly communicate because none of this communications is covert, right? You, you're not on an encrypted channel that's protected. So be cautious about what you transmit. If you're transmitting, hey, I need you to pick me up at a certain location, you don't have pro words or a covert means to communicate. You're giving yourself and your position and your link up points, all the information that you might want to retain, you're giving it up for everybody to hear. So don't just think you're the only one on those channels. But RF communications is an important element to your go bag, especially if loved ones are read in onto the plan. If something goes wrong, get this radio, oh, turn it on, and I'm going to try to get to the high ground to communicate so I can let you know where I'm at. Something else that you can look at when you're looking at signal is you want day and night visual signals. You just don't want to focus on day, right? Say I'm a, a backpacker who's going on a long range movement and I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail. Well, if something goes wrong, I'm not just going to focus my attention on signal mirrors during the day. I might use fire as my night signal and my day signal. You know, day, you could add green foliage to a fire and it will, it will billow smoke, which you could see for, uh, for miles. And obviously during the nighttime, any infrared or thermal image camera or lens is going to be able to pick that up day or night. So, Another thing you can look at is chem lights. Chem lights are made by Silume and you break them and they illuminate light, but they also have versions of it that illuminate light under infrared, meaning only an IR set of night vision that's cut to that spectrum would see that light. So let's say you're going hiking and you want to be seen by the good guys and the good guys have night vision, well, you would use an infrared marker to illuminate your position. What we do in the military is we like to create what's called a buzzsaw. We take 550 cord, which is also obviously an important thing to add to your survival go bag. But we take the 550 cord, attach it 
to your chem light, and you can do this with obviously your shoelaces, and then you create a buzzsaw motion where you're whipping it in a circle, and it creates this large signature of light that you could see for for miles. And that's how we visually identify aircraft and vector them into our positions. Another staple to this go bag is something that's really not even talked about or discussed, especially in survival, but it's hygiene. Hygiene is very important, especially in a situation where you're by yourself or you're with a small group of people and you're trying to sustain your health and well-being along a certain period of time. Like the number one thing that starts happening to your body when you're out in the wilderness, when you're out in the elements, is you start breaking down. I remember in ranger school, days into ranger school, we had guys who were getting cellulitis on their knees from just taking a knee because they were taking knees and then they were creating these little pus pockets inside their knees. And because they weren't using good hygiene in the field, they were getting dirty and their skin was getting infected, which was causing cellulitis. That's a big issue. Cellulitis can kill you in this type of situation. So it's important to have baby wipes, to have, you know, they, they have the soap now that's basically waterless soap that you don't need water to make it work for you. It just comes in a little container. You have to have the ability to take care of small wounds, small scrapes and scratches like bacitracin or neosporin. And you have to have a myriad of small things that are tailored for you in your specific instance of survival. For example, if you're allergic to bee stings, well, you might want to have a bee sting kit just in case it actually happens. Additionally, you might want to have some bug juice. You might want to have some chapstick. You might want to have all the creature comfort items that potentially are going to allow you to sustain over the longer haul. Like I said, Vaseline is a good medium for a multitude of different things. Beeswax, Neosporin, you know, Benadryl, Tylenol, all these things are going to help you sustain over the long haul. Baby wipes, absolutely critical, right? You could take with one baby wipe, you could take an entire baby wipe bath and for the most part, get the majority of your body clean. Also remember when you're on the move for a long period of time, your feet are going to break down. So it might be wise to look at foot powder. It might be wise to look at extra socks, extra t-shirts, just things that you typically wouldn't think about when packing out a survival type bag. All right, guys, that's it. I know there's a lot of information. We talked about self-defense with a, a go bag. We talked about some contingencies in which you would use a go bag, depending on your area of operation. And we talked about the staples of survival, the staples of a go bag. There's going to be lots of questions that are asked, and that's what these episodes are for. We can't cover it all in one episode. I'll have follow-up episode where we address some of the questions if they're important enough to address. But every question is important in the realm of understanding and the totality of driving ourselves in a better prepared society. The whole point of this podcast is to get you guys to think about your everyday lives and to better prepare in case something goes wrong. I appreciate your time today. If you guys want to check us out on social media, you could check us out at Philcraft Survival. That's at Philcraft Survival on Instagram. Also, we have my personal account, which is at Soft Survivor. That's SOF Survivor. You can always check us on our, our philcraftsurvival.com website for upcoming courses and also check us out at Philcraft Survival on our Facebook page. This coming January, the end of January, we have a survival course and it's also out right now, but I want you guys to keep your eyes out for upcoming courses. We're probably going to run those four times a year, two winter or a winter, a spring and a summer and fall. 
And these courses are designed to take you from an urban environment to a rural environment with a minimalist amount of equipment. So basically, everything that you have on person and and everything that you prepared with. If you didn't prepare anything, then you don't bring anything. It's going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to that course, and I look forward to seeing you guys out at at our future courses. Make sure you guys subscribe. Make sure you guys leave feedback. And until next time, remember, stay alert, stay alive. (laughs) 